This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Doug Ford's government reversing some of the cuts that they had announced in the spring budget. I mean, there's a reversal of sorts, a reset button that's been hit by the Ford government. Uh, People have noticed, certainly, and when the mayor himself, uh, no necessarily good friend to the Ford administration or to Doug, announced that he was a nation builder the other day. Uh, A lot of eyes popped on that, but I guess somebody's got to do it. because our prime minister may not actually have that on the top of his priority list. On that note, I wanted to bring in our friend Mark Stein to address that issue and more. International best-selling author and host of the Mark Stein Show joins the Oakley Show. Mark, how you doing? I'm doing just great, John. <laughs> great to be with you. Well, I appreciate it because, you know, uh, looming is the uh, November 20th announcement by the prime minister of his new cabinet. Some people are saying he might appoint Christian Freeland, who is now the foreign affairs minister, to intergovernmental affairs because such is the situation with Western Canada. Somebody's got to reconcile that. But then they, they tell us, <laughs> well, no, you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard this. Well, no, I, I'm just saying that it, it, I think if you wanted to actually keep Alberta in uh, Canada, making them spend more time with Christia Freeland. It's not the way I'd go about it. <laughs> okay. Well, that would be antithetical then to the whole project. Is where you're... But I guess the thing is, when uh, they announced uh, this was in the pipeline from sources that, you know, uh, weren't uh, authorized to speak, but nonetheless it was close to, I guess, what they're cobbling together, uh, they're saying that building a green economy and battling climate change is going to be the number one national priority. How do you see it? Uh, th- this is this is just the actually this is part of the the pathological narcissism of uh, of, of uh, Justin Trudeau's ministry. Canada, for a start, is irrelevant to global climate change. That's that's what it's meant to be: global warming. Uh, we suddenly take a great interest in the fact that the globe has a climate. Uh, kind of uniform climate, if you follow simplistic science like the hockey stick, uh, that no one actually lives in, but is supposed to be a global problem. Uh, in, in fact, even advanced economies, if you look at the 20th century in, say, uh, northern Europe versus the 20th century in North America, have completely different climate uh, patterns, even though they uh, live a reasonably compatible lifestyle. So it's this, this is just virtue signaling, uh, by uh, essentially uh, upscale white liberals with nothing better to do. On the other hand, Western alienation is real. Uh, the resurgent Quebec uh, uh, sovereignty movement is real. These are real things. Uh, and if you want to actually drive a, the, the nail in uh, into confederation than going full speed ahead on some stupid Green New Deal that does nothing for the planet but actually splits Canada in two. Because while it's a sort of boutique accessory for somebody in Rosedale, uh, it's actually real uh, in Alberta, where, believe it or not, uh, a successful dynamic energy powerhouse does not want to have all its highly skilled workers retrained to work in the shoe polish factory uh, where they make Justin's makeup for the next time he wants to sing the <laughs> Banana Boat song. Mark Stein is with us, uh, international best-selling author. So uh, Western alienation is not to be trifled with. I mean, uh, do you see this as being plausible, the breakup of this country, and where would they go? Well, they don't have to go anywhere. I mean, one of the the great features, Quebec separatism is a scam. It's basically there to go and get more booty from Ottawa, as Monsieur Parizeau uh, very uh, honestly put it. 
Um, and Quebec separatism arose at a time when the map, the map was frozen. Since the collapse of the Soviet Union, anywhere that wants to be a country can be a country, and the trend has been towards smaller countries. And uh, if you're Alberta, you could be a very successful small country. When you look at the countries that are out there, Slovakia and Slovenia, Alberta certainly has more uh, simply uh, the economic rationale for an independent Alberta is certainly more persuasive than that for Slovakia. And so uh, what the danger of this, the danger of this is that you get uh, once you sour on a nation, it is very difficult to unsour on it. And that's really what happened with with Quebec separatism. If you if you chart the uh, the course of Quebec in the 40 years uh, after the, the king and queen landed in Quebec City and there were uh, the, 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 the I mean, this is impossible for people to imagine now. Uh, as the King and Queen's train passed through Quebec at places like Trois-Rivières, uh, the line was thronged with Québécois singing en français, God Save the Queen, no. right? <laughs> they, really? Yeah. Re- Hello, yeah, Ripley's. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> people, people would think this was from an alternative universe now. <laughs> and the lesson of that, the lesson of that is once people sour once people sour on a nation, as Quebec did in the 60s, in the Quiet Revolution and the 70s, even, when, even if they don't jump, the relationship is so sour that it poisons everything. And where, that's, that's the stage we're at in Alberta. Whether we're at the stage of the Republic of Alberta uh, is, uh, is, a, is a slightly more difficult question, but we are at the stage of the great souring. And you would think that the twerps uh, who have uh, presided over this and who caused it and who saw it manifested uh, and don't have an MP between Winnipeg and Vancouver uh, wouldn't actually be saying, hey, you know, we need to make this situation worse. Christia, we've got a new job for you. <laughs> By the way, uh, we might even add to God Save the Queen, God Save the Queen's fur coats. Uh, did you hear this latest? The PETA people are all excited because the Queen is no longer going to actually wear real fur. It's all going to be faux fur in her get-ups and so on and so Well, no, the activists are carrying the day with the royal family, it seems. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not... <laughs> I don't... I think there's... A, I don't mind, you know... Minor, peripheral, irrelevant royal duchesses going woke. I, I find the idea of a, a woke nonagenarian queen. The queen, actually, the queen has played a difficult hand across the course of the 20th century uh, very shrewdly. Uh, I always remember that thing when she got hijacked in that awful week after the Princess of Wales's death, and she got hijacked into making a statement from Buckingham Palace. And the way, the, the impeccable timing, she would have made a great stand-up comedian when she said, Dia- Diana was a remarkable woman. <laughs> and uh, I like to think, if, she, if it's true that she's mothballing the furs, I would like to think that that, I would like, I would, I would hope that the Queen at this stage of life is just being parodically woke. Yeah, it almost sounds like Nigel Tufnell in Spinal Tap. The Druids, <laughs> no one knew who they were or what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but, you know, this is the thing, though, if they're going to replace fur uh, at Windsor Palace and uh, whatever, uh, and Buckingham. What about those fur hats that the uh, Royal Guard wear? 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I certainly do. I don't want to I, see an end to that. Again, I, I, you can't live on, you can't live on virtue signaling. One of the great problems in the Western world generally, certainly in Canada, is uh, that is that politicians don't talk about anything that matters, uh, and you can. It's part of the problem with why these virtue-signaling Democrats in the United States haven't gone anywhere. Uh, they've got like 27 candidates, and uh, and and people have said the party is concerned that that's not enough choice because all the 27 are coming out and they say, you know, like at the last debate, they issue their pronouns. They say, my name is Kamala Harris, and my pronouns are, because they don't want to fall a side of the non-binary sector of the electorate. Well, the non-binary sector of the electorate is absolutely peripheral. And meanwhile, the binary sector of the electorate are thinking, why every time I switch on the TV, politicians are talking about nothing that matters to me. And when you actually have some... And, and just to bring it back to Alberta, Alberta is is or should be hugely successful. There's no reason... For what's happened in Alberta, such as companies fleeing Calgary, as we've seen in the last couple of days, um, there's no reason for that except the decisions being made in Ottawa. And once you put that dynamic in place, then you then you have a situation where people people actually start thinking, well, uh, you know, if if these guys are, are just going to talk about stuff that is utterly irrelevant to real life. Uh, and then uh, maybe I need to look elsewhere for my political arrangements. And and uh, the Queen's hat is actually not a small part, not not an insignificant part of that. Because as silly as it sounds, the Queen's hat or the guards, and often they're Canadian guards at Buckingham Palace. They, mm-hmm. they have Canadian regiments doing the changing of the guard there. The, the idea that you have a monarchy because it's supposed to symbolize something real. The minute it becomes just symbolizing something that is virtue signal then it really is just fantasy because then it is not symbolizing anything real it's just symbolizing the concerns of a few metropolitan dinner party tables let me ask you about something real you know when it comes to uh recognizing the country and its legacy and so on and so forth. there was a disturbing story out of the windsor uh, area where the windsor veterans memorial services committee uh got upset that they had 160 canadian flags ready for remembrance day and these flags were stolen from the cemetery uh it makes me wonder if you know i don't know if it's just uh, wanton vandalism or there's something that uh, doesn't pay deference any longer memorial day in the states or remembrance day here in canada does it still mean anything to you think uh, the current generation well, I, I don't think, in the sense that if you asked uh, the average young person, uh, Remembrance Day arose in the wake of the, the Great War, uh, do you even know who uh, Canada was fighting in that war? I don't think most of them could tell you. I don't think it resonates with them. So in a sense, that's just the march of time, that uh, they they don't feel the absence like the the, the generation of women who, who lived as spinsters simply because there were no young men to marry because they'd all been slaughtered on the Western Front. So it's in that sense, it's, it's more vivid and blazing for people in the 1920s and, uh, than it is for people a century on. But this is actually beyond that because we also have things like the uh, school board in Cape Breton that actually told the Royal Canadian Legion... Uh, they didn't want to hear the prayer this year because they wanted it to be, quote-unquote, more inclusive. It's odd the way that being more inclusive 
uh, means excluding stuff and throwing stuff out. And the Royal Canadian Legion kicked up a fuss about it and they backed down. But what that tells you is that uh, this may just be vandalism, but it's vandalism that exists in a context which is a kind of contempt, uh, a, a contempt for the sacrifice of our grandfathers, uh, a, con- a contempt for the meaning of the nation and for what built the nation uh, that doesn't just uh, start and stop with thugs desecrating graveyards and tearing down flags, but actually goes up to the official contempt of uh, local councils and school boards and all kinds of people who don't have the same excuse that they're just mindless thugs. So I think there is a kind of... Uh, there's a loss of um, what you might call a civilizational uh, historical continuity that that something like this is part of. Well, let me ask you then finally, when it comes to inclusivity and uh, historical continuity, uh, there's a story that the Greater Essex County District School Board in southwestern Ontario, uh, in accordance with the spirit of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, going to replace the canon of English lit in uh, their curriculum there, in the grade 11 curriculum. Shakespeare's gone, uh, Orwell gone, but they're going to have indigenous literature instead. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, any time you kick out Shakespeare, basically you're teaching something worse. And again, this goes back to to, to what we were saying about, you know, inclusivity seems to involve excluding a lot of stuff. Um, the, the idea, Shakespeare at a certain level is English. If he were to give a speech to the Greater Essex County School Board, I suppose he would fly into uh, Windsor on a United Kingdom passport. But the idea that you can't relate to him if you're not from the Greater Stratford-upon area, great, Greater Stratford-upon-Avon uh, area in Warwickshire, and that if you're, say, from uh, Worcestershire or Shropshire or Yorkshire, this little local Warwickshire playwright is of no relevance to you. And so how could he be relevant to Slovenia? Uh, and how could he be relevant to Japan? And how could he be relevant to to Tajikistan? The idea that Shakespeare is just the white man's playwright is completely preposterous. He's He's the global playwright because of his insights into human nature. And you can't... It's actually... You know, we... We we now say that, oh, the residential schools made these native children learn Shakespeare. Uh, they made them learn about Bach and Mozart. What evil people are we? Well, we now, we're now doing it in reverse. We're actually teaching our, our kids. We're actually destroying, vandalizing the curriculum, uh, taking the greatest glories, not just of Stratford-upon-Avon, but of the planet's cultural inheritance, and saying, oh, no, 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 you don't need to learn this because it's just white privilege rubbish. But can you accommodate both and uh, make it, uh, you know, some kind of a hybrid part of the curriculum? Well, you don't. I don't think you have to do it as part of a, a hybrid thing. I think if people want to do uh, this... Uh, uh, indigenous literature or whatever as an extra, then that's fine. But uh, basically, a society cannot exist. It cannot survive. It cannot transcend the present tense 
if you don't transmit your inheritance from one generation to another. Otherwise, it's just like Gate 87 at Pearson. It's, it's just a collection of whoever happens to be standing there at 20 past five in the afternoon. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and at 5.47, uh, when uh, the next flight is, uh, uh, has uh, taken off, it'll be a, a completely different. But that's not what a, a nation is, not a gate at Pearson. It's, it ha- actually has to have uh, a cultural continuity. All right. By the way, thanks for the time check. It alerted me to the fact we're out of time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Five five twenty one. Uh, if you're if you're in traffic on the QEW. <laughs> right. Right. We'll get you to do that. We'll second you next time. Maybe you can do the podcast with me and Tom. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Tom can do the weather. It's turning into a you traveling mean, road show. That's right. Uh, all right, Mark. Always good to talk. You take care. We'll do it soon again. Thanks a lot, John. Mark Stein, international best-selling author, host of The Mark Stein Show. Thanks for listening to The John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.